Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. This episode is going to be all about the menopause and I'm going to go through briefly what the menopause is, why we should all know about it and then what I really want to focus on this episode and it's going to be a little bit sciencey so hopefully that's enjoyable for people is the direct impact of changes during the menopause primarily a reduction in estrogen on the impact sorry the impact that has on building muscle and losing fat and then what we need to do about that if anything for women going through that phase of life and then I'm going to talk briefly about what people get wrong about menopause so to start with and sorry if this episode sounds a little bit strange, I'm actually using it to practice my presentation for IFS. Because do you know what? Two birds, one stone, imperfect action, blah, 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 all the stuff that I preach. So why do you need to know about menopause? And what I'm going to do at this point is probably get everyone to stand up and be like, if well, if you know a woman, stand up. Okay, cool. These are the people that need to know about menopause, right? So I'm hoping that everyone in the audience actually knows a woman or is at least sitting near one. And that's going to be the point that I make. And the reason that this is so important is that menopause shouldn't be a niche topic. Every woman who lives long enough is going to go through the menopause. And the average age of women going through the menopause is 48 to 52. Now, I was about to explain what an average is. But basically, that means that some people go through that before and some people can go through after. But that's kind of like the average age that people hit menopause. And that means that if you base that off life expectancy, most women will spend about 30% of their lives postmenopausal. So what actually is the menopause? The menopause marks the end of menstruation in women. And it's caused by a drop in estrogen and is defined as a point in time of having not had a period for 12 months. So not having menstruated for 12 months. And perimenopause is the period of time before that, and this is usually when most symptoms occur. So you have the four stages of menopause. You have premenopause, so from the time you get your first period until the time you start experiencing changes in your menstrual cycle indicating that you're going through perimenopause. Then you have perimenopause, and this is where most women struggle if they are going to struggle. So I think one one amazing thing is that we're talking about this more. One slight negative to that is that people have now become very fearful of going through the menopause. And I think it is important to note that not every woman experiences horrendous symptoms. It's just that we tend to hear the most about that. So that's kind of what we expect. But anyway, this period of time that can last several years is where most women experience the most symptoms, which I'm going to come on to talk about shortly. And then you have menopause, which is actually just a point in time. So it's the point in time at which you've not had a period for 12 months. So I was going to say 12 years there, for 12 months. And then you have postmenopause, which is essentially the rest of your life. And what I'm going to be showing here that you can't actually see, but anyone listening can go to eiqnutrition.com and watch the free webinar that we've done on menopause there but is a graph that shows the the four stages of menopause and then also correlates that with estrogen levels 
and then also cleverly correlates that with symptom experience. So again, this is the average woman, but you can see on the graph that actually the worst symptoms come when estrogen levels are fluctuating quite a lot during perimenopause. So if we know that the one of the key hormonal changes during menopause is this drop in estrogen, and by the way, there are some other hormonal changes, but I'm just going to cover primarily estrogen today, is that because annoyingly estrogen has all these receptors all over the body, it means that this drop in estrogen can impact a load of things, meaning that you can have a load of different symptoms, right? So estrogen can have impacts on the brain, on the heart, on the liver, on the bones, on the skin, on joint and muscles, on your bowel, on your nerves, on your bladder, on your vagina. Like there's estrogen receptors all over your body, which means that the amount of symptoms that you can experience of asked and some of the most common symptoms are hot flushes or night sweats reduced sleep quality and often quantity reduced libido vaginal dryness mood changes increased anxiety and depression poor concentration heart palpitations joint pain muscle loss bone mineral density loss an increase in body fat and a redistribution of where that fat is stored. So it tends to redistribute to store more around your middle. So as you can see, quite a, quite a variety of symptoms there. Now, I'm gonna be talking directly to coaches. Now I realize my audience on the podcast is primarily women going through the menopause. But when I'm talking to coaches, what I really wanna emphasize is that our job is, as coaches is to listen and to treat each client as an individual and then to make any adaptions that we can to make things easier based on the symptoms that they're struggling with. It's obviously not to directly treat these symptoms, right? It's also to empower clients to go and speak to their GPs or their, maybe if they're lucky, menopause experts in order to help them um, get treatments that might benefit. But what I'm about to show you is that there are two key treatments to someone going through menopause. One of them is hormone replacement therapy. So replacing some of the hormones that have reduced during menopause. And the other one is lifestyle. And obviously I'm gonna focus more on lifestyle today because that's the part that as coaches we can really help with. And this is a quote that I like to talk about quite a lot. And it's from a systematic review of the current research that we have on menopause treatments. And it says, exercise beyond menopause is the only non-controversial and beneficial aspect of lifestyle modification and it must be adopted by all. And that's pretty handy because that's the stuff that as coaches we're really good at, right? So you're gonna empower your clients to speak to their GP about HRT if that's right for them. But really that's not our job. Our job is to support them with all the other aspects of lifestyle modification. And one of the primary things that I'm going to focus on today is any changes that we need to make when we're trying to help people build muscle and lose fat. Because usually this is what most of our clients come to us for. So we cover much more about how to coach women through menopause on EIQ. So if you want to go and have a look at that, it's eiqnutrition.com. As I said, there's a completely free webinar there as well. So have a little look at that. But today I'm really going to cover extra considerations for fat loss and building muscle rather than try and cram everything into one podcast. 
And I put an image up here, which obviously on the podcast you um you can't see, but what has blown my mind is that I made this image with AI. Like the person's not real. This really doesn't help on the podcast, but it looks so real. But anyway, I put into AI this generator. I put in I want an older woman with a backpack walking up a mountain. And the reason for this picture is there's an analogy I like to use about building muscle and losing fat during menopause. Because most women that I work with, most women that come to me, say nothing has changed, but my body has. As in like, I'm still going to the gym, I'm still eating well, like I'm still doing all the quote unquote right things, but it doesn't seem to work anymore. And this can lead you down a kind of rabbit hole of like, maybe you need this supplement or maybe you need to do that or maybe menopausal women shouldn't do cardio or maybe they should do cardio or maybe they should only do cardio and they shouldn't lift weight. Like there's all the kind of crap on the internet. Like maybe they should do cardio. Maybe they should definitely fast. I oh, know fasting is the worst thing they could do because cortisol levels, like you will find pros and cons for everything if you look into this stuff. And then it gets really confusing and then you kind of like, paralysis by analysis well I don't know what to do because this person's telling me I definitely should do this and this person's telling me that's absolutely the worst thing I possibly do so what should I do and what I want to make clear here is that the physiology of fat loss hasn't changed the physiology of building muscle hasn't changed I'm going to talk about some slight impacts of estrogen on both of those processes and then what you would do about them but the analogy that I want to make here is that you could claim that walking down the street is the exact same as walking up a mountain with a massive backpack on, right? You are putting one foot in front of the other. Much like if you want to lose fat pre-menopause, you need to be in a calorie deficit. If you want to lose fat perimenopause, you need to be in a calorie deficit. For most women, if they are experiencing symptoms of menopause, perimenopause is a much harder time to lose fat. Much like walking up a mountain with, with a backpack is much harder than just strolling down the street, despite the fact that you're just putting one foot in front of the other, right? And I, I like to really emphasize this point because I don't want people to think I'm like, it's just the same, just be in a calorie deficit, you'll be fine. Like that is not helpful when someone is struggling. It is legitimately harder and you may need more support and you may need some tweaks based on the symptoms that you're struggling with but it's not a completely different process and you don't need to go to wild extremes. So one thing that I'm gonna focus on today, and I don't see this considered enough, is the impact of low estrogen on muscle and your ability to build muscle and recover from exercise. And this has direct implications for how you would program someone. So it's very applicable if you're listening and you coach women. And then I guess the, the point I want to make before we move on from that is like, why should we care about how much muscle we have? And the reason for that is that, well, muscle is quite important. Put simply, more muscle means that you will live longer and healthier with a higher quality of life. And the study that I'm going to show here shows that the more muscle mass you have, the less risk of death that you have, which is quite cool, right? So all-cause mortality is essentially your risk of dying. And the graph shows that those who have the most muscle have the lowest all-cause mortality, and those who have the least muscle have the highest all-cause mortality. So if you're going to put your efforts into something, building muscle is a really good idea. 
Now that goes for everybody, but when we look directly at menopausal women, we see that some of the negatives are that when you're menopausal, you have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, of type two diabetes and of cancer. You also have a reduction in bone mineral density, in muscle mass and in mood. Now, if you look at the impacts of exercise, and I've chosen here specifically resistance training, you see that there's a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes and cancer. And you see that there's an increase in bone mineral density, muscle mass and mood. Which means that resistance training is mitigating some of the negatives of going through the menopause. So it's a pretty good thing to be doing, you know. But back to my point about it potentially being harder to build muscle during menopause. I'm going to go into the science of why this is. There are various kind of more obvious reasons for this. Like if you look at that big long list of symptoms I showed before, things like impaired sleep obviously are going to impair recovery, are going to reduce motivation to exercise, are going to make it harder to build muscle. But I'm going to go into the science of why it's harder from a physiological perspective. And before I do that, I want to just do a quick recap for those who already know on how to build muscle. So when you exercise, you create small tears in your muscle and this stimulates a response. So this is kind of the trigger for muscle to grow. So it stimulates a bit of inflammation, it stimulates growth hormones and it stimulates satellite cell activation. And that's one of the things I want to focus on here. And this is really important, this stimulation of inflammation, growth hormones and satellite cell activation, because this is what allows muscle to grow and to repair from training, right? So you're creating the stimulus with the exercise and then this response and then your muscle grows as a response to that. Now, if we look at satellite cells, just again, like a bit of a recap of exactly what these are before I talk about how they're impacted during menopause. These are, you could essentially think of them as like muscle stem cells, right? So stem cells are cells which can differentiate into different um, cells, so like a new cell. And these cells fuse to muscle fibres to replace damaged portions that would be damaged by exercise and allow growth and repair to that training stimulus. And what's quite interesting here is that often you might hear people talk about muscle memory. And when they talk about that, they're kind of talking about the observation that it seems to be easier to rebuild muscle after you've had an injury compared to the first time, or if you've had a bit of time off, like it's quicker to rebuild that muscle than to build the muscle the first time. And this is partly due to the activation of satellite cells and the fact that once you have trained, you don't actually lose satellite cells, they just become smaller, right? So they atrophy. So you have more of these muscle cells at that point, but they just become smaller. And this is essentially how muscle memory works. And it's also why it's the unfair for drug cheats to come back to sport after like a year's ban, right? Because they haven't lost that advantage of the extra satellite cells that they've built, probably while they were using steroids to train. A little bit of a side note. Okay, so I'm going back to the impact of reduction in 
anabolic hormones, most notably estrogen and testosterone, that occur during menopause. So this results to a reduction in satellite cell um, activation, in vitamin D receptors, in protein synthesis, in estrogen receptors on the muscle, and in calcium release. It also is linked to an increase in storing muscle around, sorry, storing fat around your muscles as well, which all make it harder to then build muscle. So given this, what do we do about it? And as boring as this might sound, it's the same things, right? Remember that the same principles apply to build muscle and lose fat during menopause, it's just harder. It's like that woman walking up a hill compared to walking on the flat. You still need to make sure that you're getting in dietary protein. You still need to resistance train. HRT will help this because essentially one of the core reasons that this is becoming harder to build muscle is because of this reduction in anabolic hormones. Now, if you're replacing with hormone replacement therapy, some of those hormones, like taking estrogen and testosterone, then actually it, it shouldn't be as hard to build muscle. But if you're not taking those hormones for any reason, then an important consideration is your ability to recover. And as I've kind of noted here, this is going to be impaired if you have lower estrogen levels. And something that we probably don't consider enough as coaches is training volume versus results. And this is such a simple concept. I've got a really simple graph up here as well. But it's very easy to get sucked into the more is better mentality, right? So if I'm not getting the results that I want, I will just do more. And many things influence what's kind of put on this graph as MRV, right? So your maximal recoverable volume. And I was certainly guilty of kind of getting stuck in this like more is better mentality for years. And the issue there being is that there is only so much exercise that you can recover from. And various factors will influence how much exercise you can recover from. Part of it is like fitness levels. Part of it is sleep, which we know is going to be impacted by menopause. Part of it would be nutrition, making sure you're eating enough and you're eating the right things, you're getting in enough protein. Stress levels can also be heavily impacted by menopause, partly due to the fact that menopause quite nicely coincides usually with having like probably still kids at home, having parents that are getting older that are potentially needing some of your help. And then also like potentially being at like kind of the peak of your career. So there's a lot of stress that goes on in most women's lives that are going through menopause. And then you have what I've just described, which is the direct impact of a reduction in estrogen. So because of this, your maximal recoverable volume will likely be lower due to your reduced ability to recover from exercise. And one thing that I implement frequently with my clients is shorter workouts. So think about stimulate, not annihilate, as opposed to just doing as much as you possibly can, like kind of train a little bit smarter and make sure that you are actually getting the most out of the effort that you're putting in. Quick recap here on how you would apply this as a coach. Do what you can to optimize recovery. So protein, calories, sleep. Obviously sleep isn't always that easy if you're struggling with that. Shorter workouts are often better. It's hard to get your head around the fact that more isn't always better, which is why I often show clients 
the graph that you can't see on the podcast, but basically that shows maximal recoverable volume and then this kind of decline, right, in terms of the results that you're getting. And then know that although it's harder, it's also the most important time to be building muscle in order to experience healthy aging. Okay, now I'm going to move on to fat loss during the menopause. And many, many, many women, if not all, find it harder to lose fat during menopause or just simply as they age. And this isn't because how you lose fat has changed. It's because, shockingly, when you've had poor sleep, when your mood is impacted, when you're experiencing hot flushes, when it's all erratic and unpredictable, this impacts the behaviours that you're taking, including your behaviours around food and exercise, which makes fat loss a hell of a lot harder. So yes, the principles are the same. You need to be in a calorie deficit, much like the principles of walking are the same. You put one foot in front of the other, but walking up a hill with a 20 kilogram backpack is much harder than strolling along the beach. So in that in that essence, like it's not the same. And some of the key factors that influence why it's harder to lose fat during menopause are low motivation, low mood, lack of sleep and life stress, which I already touched on a little bit. And then what I'm actually going to touch on today is probably the things that have the least impact, but is still quite useful. And I think is why people kind of cling on to the fact that it's completely different, right? Because there is also a very small impact on your resting energy expenditure and potentially insulin resistance. So the first thing I'm going to focus on, because I think this is probably the most impactful thing when it comes to fat loss, is your sleep. And what I'm going to show here is the results of a study that show that People who slept four hours compared to eight hours ate, on average, 559 calories more. Now, obviously, that's going to have a huge impact on your ability to lose fat. And you can get bogged down in the minutiae of, is that to do with insulin resistance? Is it to do with it? Like, honestly, the primary thing is that when you don't sleep well, you're more hungry and you have less willpower, and you're more likely to go for the easier options, or to be looking for food, for energy, because you haven't slept very well. This is why you end up eating more. Now, if you're struggling with sleep during menopause, obviously, this can have a huge impact on how hard it is to lose fat. And then, one of the most common questions I get, in different wording, is basically, does being perimenopausal directly impact fat loss. And the only way that anything can directly impact fat loss is by impacting energy balance. So then the question is really, does menopause have an impact on the amount of energy that you expend? And it does, interestingly, primarily via two mechanisms. The first one being that most, but certainly not all, especially if you're eating enough protein and resistance training, women going through the menopause will experience a loss of muscle mass. And muscle is a metabolically active tissue. So if you have more muscle mass, you burn more calories at rest. Now, this is a relatively small effect because one kilogram of muscle burns about 10 to 15 calories a day. So As an example, 
if you lost five kilograms of muscle, which is a lot, you would need about 50 to 75 calories less a day, right? So it's not a huge difference. And then the second way that menopause can directly impact fat loss is by directly impacting your resting energy expenditure. And this is independent of body composition, right? So you just kind of spoke about how if your body composition changes and you lose muscle mass, then you'll burn slightly less calories. This is um, an additive effect of that. So if you just have reduced estrogen levels, your resting energy expenditure is also impacted. But the impact of this is only about 54 odd calories a day. So obviously the reason that this makes fat loss during menopause harder is that you need to drop your calories lower, which is hard when you're experiencing symptoms. But the good news is the magnitude of effect there is relatively small. So even if you lost quite a lot of muscle mass, five kilograms is a lot, by the way, and you had this drop in estrogen that resulted in a reduction in resting energy expenditure, it's still only 100 calories, right? Which I'm not saying is nothing, but it's not a huge impact. Now, if you're doing all the right things, like resistance training and eating enough protein, and actually taking HRT will attenuate some of these, um, the reduction in both muscle mass and obviously the direct impact of a reduction in estrogen because you are replacing that estrogen, then you won't have this um, 100 odd less calories um, energy expenditure difference, which would obviously equate to like 100 less calories in your diet, given all other things are equal. So to round this up, because I meant to keep this talk to about 30 minutes. The thing that most people get wrong about menopause is thinking that they need to change everything because it's harder. That maybe that they need a special diet or exercise regime or supplement regime. And the truth is the basics still work. There just might need to be a few tweaks and actually understanding what's going on is very empowering. And what I really want to hammer home to people is, is not to get conned. Like there really is no good evidence for menopausal supplements and there really is no good evidence for very specific diets for menopausal women like you don't need to go keto you don't need to intermittent fast actually the basics are the basics because they still work what what we do know and what maybe you should implement is a mediterranean diet reduced processed foods the reason for that is it seems to mitigate some of the symptoms. So people who reduce processed foods have less symptoms. To eat primarily whole foods. To supplement with the basics. So omega-3s, vitamin D, creatine. Creatine may have additive benefits because, again, it's linked to a reduction in symptoms, especially a reduction in brain fog, improved bone mineral density and improved strength. And then protein becomes more important and exercise becomes even more important. And actually, if you focus on these one, two, three, four, five, six things, that's the best thing that you can be doing. And if you feel like you're struggling, then get some extra support. I work with a lot of women who have kind of nailed their diet and exercise most of their life. And now they're really struggling because it is harder because of the symptoms that they're experiencing which means that they come to coaching for some extra support. So if that sounds like you, head over to esgfitness.co.uk, fill in the application form, 
and I will shoot you an email and have a chat to you about how we might be able to help you. And if you're a coach listening and you've enjoyed some of this information, but you want to know more, head over to eiqnutrition.com. There's some free webinars and a little mini course for you to go through. And then our next EIQ intake, we're actually leaving open for a week because of IFS. Um, But the one after that will be in about four months.